unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. Hey, what's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of the Kick-Ass Nation. Hi, it is Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach, here for another edition of the Raw and Unscripted Show, live here every Tuesday night, 7 p.m., uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I bring you guys the stuff that's going to help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. So, yes, that's what we do every single work, week here on the Raw and Unscripted Show, is we bring you either myself or my guests, bring you engaging immediate conversations that can have you doing things that are going to be different in your life to create different results. And that's what we bring you every single week. And we're just super excited to be here once again here. And my guest tonight is going to be a powerhouse. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys know that every single week that we talk about what it takes to overcome um, the, the obstacles in your life, what it takes to overcome the excuses in your life, what it takes to shine your inner badass, what it takes to, you know, over recreate the different perceptions and perspectives that we have of our past and our present and our future. And my guest tonight um, is somebody who has definitely exhibited all of those traits and characteristics throughout her journey in life. So we're going to dive into her journey and uh, really bring value on this. And at the point of this conversation right now, this is a recorded interview, but later on tonight it will be live and we will be taking your questions as you see this interview going. So please, as always, ask your questions and engage with us in your comments and we'll be able to get back to you with those as well. Um, so I'm super excited. I met uh, Dana uh, over a Zoom call late last year as a recommendation from the unstoppable Tracy Schmidt, which you guys know uh, was a guest on my show and was a phenomenal guest and really brought a lot of value in what you could do to change your perspective about your past, present, and your future, how you can get over um, that small mindset of, uh, oh, no, I can't do it. You guys saw the unstoppable Tracy Schmidt. If you missed that episode, please go back and check it out and you will thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. But Tracy said, you know what? You need to uh, interview Dana Ferrant. And uh, Dana and I had a conversation not too long ago, like I said, at the, at the end of last year, and I was immediately captivated by her rawness, her generosity, um, her realness about what her story is, and the captivating way that she communicates uh, what it takes to really discover who you are, what your inner badass is. So please welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show, none other than Miss Dana Ferrant. Dana, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. <laughs> I feel like I should be like, you know, cheering because uh, the whole uh, intro video was like, whoa, <laughs> that's great. I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for hosting me. This is great. No, it's it, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. And yes, uh, that that music is designed to get us rocking and rolling, get us ready to go because this is the raw and unscripted show. Um, so thank you, Dana, for spending your time with us here today. And I'm super excited to jump into the conversation um, about what it takes to become unstoppable, right? Um, Mr. Unstoppable yeah. and looking at the journey that you've been on throughout your, your entire life is absolutely nothing short of amazing and miraculous. So I'm just gonna start off the question here. What does unstoppable mean to you? You know, I think unstoppable to me, the biggest thing is that it is, it's a matter of like, do you keep getting up? Because life does come along and knock us over. But, you know, are you willing to say, okay, it sucks. Yes, have your little pity party in the dirt, stomp your feet. And then, okay, I've done that. Now I'm going to get up and I'm going to figure out how to move forward. I'm going to figure out how to, whether I need to reprogram my brain or whether I need to reanalyze my strategy, I'm going to figure out what it is. I'm going to do what it takes to keep going because the joy is in 
the journey. The joy is in the challenge. It's, it's leaning in to the pain, which of course is very poignant from my past background. Yes, yes. Uh, most definitely. We're going to jump into that in just a second. Um, and I love I love your description about being unstoppable. It's the fact that we need to keep going. And especially what you're I, I'm keen to ask you about this, um, leaning into the pain, leaning into the challenge. I know most people, most of us are taught that if something is hard or challenging or difficult, of course, depending on what kind of parents we had, some parents said, hey, you know, you need to go towards your challenges. And some of our parents said, no, 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 it's too hard. We don't want you to have to deal with that. Um, where did you develop that mindset that challenges were good? Yeah, I, you know, it's really interesting. That is definitely totally from my time as being a dominatrix, both, well, both as being a submissive primarily, and then learning to become a dominatrix as well is this piece of learning to lean in and enjoy the pain. Because within that world, if people aren't familiar with it, BDSM, kink, Fifty Shades of Grey, Okay. Hopefully at this point, something has clicked in for you that you know this. Um, when you're in a scene, there is typically pain, whether it is physical or mental or emotional, there is some sort of pain that is inflicted. And it is designed to get you to let go. It's designed to get you to lean into it. And when you actually lean into it, you can open up and you can find joy, you can find pleasure in that pain. And so this is the thing is that when we learn to, to shift that around, that's what got changed in my brain. It was like, oh, pain could actually be something that's pleasurable. Well, what if, you know, the things in my life could also be that way? What if the pain in my life could be transformed into pleasure? Mm. So I can definitely understand pleasure in the dominatrix scene, in the bedroom, the excitement, the fantasy and things of that nature. That pain, I can kind of understand the pain yeah. of life and the pain of the decisions that we have to make every day and the things that we have to circumvent. That pain, I'm a little bit uh, different about. How do you how do you see the, the pain of life and the pain of the decisions that we have to make similar to that, that sensual pain that we somewhat look forward to? Mm -hmm. Okay, so first let's talk a little neurology in that in our brain, the way that we process pain and pleasure is actually really, really close. It's nearly identical. Um, and the wiring is like kind of crosses over. So where it gets changed is how we um, perceive it, how we, you know, filter it, what what our beliefs and our judgments are on that. So when we have things that we see as challenging, if we label them as challenging, we continue to say, oh, this is this is hard, this is challenging, and then you're gonna actually increase the pain that you experience in your life. But if you flip it around, and here's where I come from, is that it's much more you know expanded consciousness kind of thing to get right into the woo, um, is that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And so our physical experience includes having pain. And so there's an element for us that if we lean into that, if we lean into that bigger perspective, we say, hey, I actually chose to come here to experience these challenges. So what if I chose to enjoy the challenges rather than seeing them as bad and trying to push them away? So it's that flip in in how we see it. And we have to change what's going on in the wiring in our brain. So it's not instant, it does take time, but it absolutely can be changed. Mm, I love that, I love that Dana. And thank you for sharing that because it's similar to something that I've had to um, change my perspective about is the physical pain as well. And, and physical pain for me is not usually 
anything I think about, it's like, okay, it, it's there, whatever I smash my finger, you know, I sprain my ankle, whatever, I'll get over it. It's going to be fine. For yeah. me, I've had a lot of back pain, hip pain, leg pain going down my sciatic. And for me, you know, I did the surgery a couple of years ago, did a two level fusion. It was miserable. I got through it and thought, okay, I'm going to do this once. I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to be good for the rest of my life. Unfortunately, the two discs above and below started getting compromised and started having immediate pain right away. And so I started having to flip it on myself because everybody tells us, oh, especially in, in the medical community, if you feel pain, stop, right? If you right. feel pain, you shouldn't be doing it. That's bad. Oh, take it easy. And I've had so many people throughout my life, Dana, tell me, you know, when I've had pain, they're like, Chris, you need to stop. You need to take care. You need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be fine. I'm going to figure out it's going to be no problem. But in this situation, I have had to like, okay, how can I make this pain serve me? How can I, when I'm walking and I'm miserable and I'm just like, God, why me? And being a victim, how can I sit there and say, you know what? Maybe this pain is challenging me. Maybe this pain is just there to get me over the hump. And once I work through this pain, once I get the ligaments and the, and the muscles around that area stronger, then the pain is going to go away. So as opposed to running away and, and, and sitting on it and, and hoping the pain goes away, I'm actually challenging myself. Okay, listen, you need to walk through that pain. It's only going to get worse if it's going to get worse or it might get better. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so my background is in healthcare. So I have to say, my brain is going in two directions here. Um, one is a coach in, in the mindset and consciousness world, and, and one is a healthcare. And I would say, for anybody listening, there is um, good pain and bad pain. And when it comes to your body and moving through and actually challenging yourself, you need to be you need to push through the, the what I would call the good pain. So the pain that it's like, okay, it's there. But it's not debilitating. It's not, you know, bad pain. And it's, this is something you have to get to know in your body, um, differentiating what is your body telling you uh, hold up and what is your body saying, okay, this is just uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, keep going. And, you know, just keep that you incrementally increase what you're doing. And this applies too with, with what we think about, you know, mentally when we have and mental emotional challenges is that we need to incrementally increase the amount that we're able to do, the amount that we're able to stretch and grow. So yes, I agree with you that you do need to actually lean in, but I love for people to lean in from a space of, I'm gonna surrender into this pain, not I'm gonna push through the mud, right? Like it's not that, it is like, I'm gonna like surrender, embrace it, it's here, I'm gonna work with my body and body, we're gonna we're gonna keep going. And then, you know, I would say for in your case, I, I hope you're making use of the visualization where, where like every day you're visualizing yourself of moving healthy and pain-free, you see yourself doing that, and then you go out and so that you really work with your body. And it's the same kind of thing when we think about on, on a mental emotional level. If we can spend time visualizing what we want, where we're going, then the the discomfort of today has a purpose it's getting us somewhere if we're just suffering for the sake of suffering we can't go anywhere right we think about there's a great um story if you don't mind me just continuing <laughs> go for it go for it no okay. go for it so um there was a prisoner of war uh the oh shoot i think it was a vietnam war may have been before that but anyway his guy he was held prisoner of war for 40 years 40 years Okay, he was the only prisoner in the camp and he was eventually let go because he made friends with the guard. 
Now, every day he would get up and they would make him dig a hole in the freezing cold. And then at the end of the day, he would bury it. He would carry it back in. And that's what he would do every day. Dig a hole, bury it, dig a hole, cover it, you know. And that was his existence for 40 years. You got to think about that. Like, this is like, we think we got it tough. I'm like, I think about this poor dude, you know, it's like, that's all, that's mental toughness to get up every day. And to just keep going. And eventually, you know, they just open the doors and let them go free. Um, but the the fortitude that it would take to go through that. And, but he kept in his mind, and this is the trick, he kept in his mind about his family. And he constantly saw himself going back to his family. So he was realistic in that this is where I am today. And he never lost sight of the fact that he wanted to go home and that he could see himself going home to his family. Bam. You know what, what's crazy? It might be a different story, but you're going to trip because I'm just going to go back here to my my blue screen right here that's fake. <laughs> Some people are like, is that a real guitar? I'm like, yeah, it's a real guitar. Um, you might be referencing this book. I'm not sure. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. When he yes, was I think, yes, yes. Auschwitz. Yes. Yes. I just refer. I just referred to this book last night. Where was I last night? Oh, I was on. A, I was on my group coaching call. Or Auschwitz? No, it wasn't Auschwitz because yeah. he was the only. Was he the only prisoner? No, I'm not sure. He wasn't the only one, but it might. It no, might be two two separate stories. Two, but this two one, stories are similar, but yeah, like that was really good too. Oh, this was yeah. The man search for meaning, yeah. you know, because somebody was talking about this last night in our group coaching program, and they're like, you know, uh, all these things are in my brain, da 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 da. And, you know, this person makes me feel this person, this per this person does this, this person does that, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I just went, I said, go read this book, go read this book. I said, I promise you, nobody can make you feel anything that you do not allow them to. Yeah. You know, that's a boundary that we have in our, in our process that his, his whole point was he was, he was in Auschwitz and they would make him go out there in the snow and do all the stuff, bare feet, freezing, you know, get a little piece of bread. And he's like, you can take everything away from me, but you cannot make me feel anything that I do not choose to feel. So I choose to focus on my family. I choose to believe that I'm going to get out of here. I choose that this is going to be happening for me and not to me. I choose that I'm going to write a book one day that's going to make massive impact in the way people perceive their, their intellect and their opportunities. Yeah, this this book, I used to read it every single year and I would just like get into it and I would just be like, wow, what am I bitching and complaining about? And yeah. speaking about that, you know, bringing that, bringing that to light, um, Dana, and I really appreciate you sharing that, is what else did you learn out of being a dominatrix? Obviously, you, you, you learned a way to perceive pain in a different situation, but what other lessons did you learn out of that time in your life? Yeah, I think the other big things is is what I translated into into business for me is that um, being able to hold that space, being able to stand in the room and take command, but you're taking charge and it's not a power over, it's a power with. And that's power a really with. power with, yeah. And, and it's a piece that if you only watch the Hollywood version of what a dominatrix is, uh, it's, you know, I have to complain with the lawyers that it's that Hollywood does a terrible job of portraying what it is. But in fact, what it is, is a high level service position. So you're, you have to hold the space and the power for the other person to surrender. Now, the reality is, is that the, the submissive holds all of the power because they have the ability to call stop at any time. If it goes too far, if anything goes wrong, they're having that ultimate power. But me being able to hold that space, hold that container, allowed me to really step into a leadership place that was very, like it's, it's a soft, it's a feminine leadership. It's not this masculine, sorry, 
but you know, it's not about you. <laughs> it's just the, the push. It's not the push energy. It is about, okay, how do we get everybody on board? How do we become collaborative? How do we, but also that I'm not going to be walked on. I'm, I'm not one to say, oh yeah, sure. Just come on in. Just, you know, do whatever you want. No. And I don't need to go to war with anybody in order to hold my boundaries. So those are those are some of the probably the fun ones that translate into business for me. I really love the the leadership style that comes forward when you really step into that energy. Mm, no, I love it. And, and speaking of leadership, Dana, you know, what thoughts come to mind is is nonverbal communication. I would imagine in that situation, both what you've learned there and what you teach now is being able to key in on a little bit of that because instinctually, sometimes we, especially as men or as people in general, we're told not to let know when we're, when we're, when we're weak or when we're fearful or stuff like that. So I can imagine those situations as well. Somebody might be like, okay, you know, I, it may, may hurt, but I'm just going to be tough. How do you, how do you uh, learn about nonverbal? cues in the communication process and how do you in turn teach that to the people that you coach yeah so for me I'm, i've always been very tuned in to the energy side of things so when people talk to me i don't necessarily listen primarily to the words i listen to what's underneath it and i can always spot when somebody is lying to me and now this this also goes back so i grew up in a cult and I was continually lied to. And there's all this, you know, two-faced. And so for me, truth is like super important. <laughs> I'm always like, tell me that truth, right? Like, it's really important for me to get that. So it became a vital skill for me to be able to differentiate who's telling the truth and who's not. And, you know, that comes from reading the energy. And so there's a difference between what people say and what they mean, what they project energetically. And, and that's what I get people to start differentiating when they're working with whoever, you know, whether it's colleagues, superiors, and you know, and teammates, um, that you need to be able to read what's going on. And that comes from getting out of your own mental chatter. When it's not about you, when you can be there and be focused on what's going on with everybody else, then you're observant. And this is the thing is that when we don't have expectations we're not sitting there going oh i think you're going to act like this i think you're going to act like that then you're putting all of this filter on them right you're saying okay this is this is what i'm going to see this is what i'm expecting to see and then you miss things but when you go in and you have no expectation then you just observe and it's like oh hmm they said that but that's not what that feels like and you can you can step back and you can just kind of call them it's like hmm it doesn't totally resonate is that really what you mean you know you can you can call them gently on things and that opens up the ability to get some deeper communication so there's of course a whole lot more on that but you know <laughs> touching on the surface Touching on the surface, uh, dominatrix, you mentioned something about a C-word, a uh, cult. Oh yeah, a cult. I yes. Um, so, so, um, is that where you learned your emotional intelligence, Dana? Was was in a cult? I would say a lot of it was from that. Yeah. In it wow. becomes a survival skill because you have to. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to differentiate what was going on. It didn't resonate. It never. It was like. This doesn't feel right. People are are saying to me, sorry, it's horrible. Itch. Um, they're saying to me, Oh, I'm I I believe this is the truth. This is this is the thing. And I'm like, mm, it doesn't line up. And you know, for a lot of a lot of times I couldn't say anything. I would just sit with this 
disruption of this doesn't fit. And then finally, I'm like, okay, I got to get out of here. Y'all are crazy. Um, and I don't care what it costs. I got to get out. So I did. I, at 18, I left. I left everybody I knew. I left everything. And um, yeah, got out of there. Did uh, <laughs> and did years of therapy. So now I'm not. I'm not crazy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or just a little bit, because I think we all need to be crazy to survive this world. And, and honestly, and honestly, you know, and, and I haven't asked, I'm not going to ask what cult or anything, because that's not really a matter of importance. But what you just described is similar to what we've been experiencing. I know you're up there in Canada, but here in the United States, we've been experiencing that type of mentality a little bit with the presidential oh. election that's been going on and, and the divisiveness here in, in the United States. So I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, things can be cultish or cult-like depending on, you know, what it is that um, people get into that. And that's my question is from your perspective of being in something involved in something like that up until the point you were 18, why are cults so popular um, with people? And why does it seem to be almost a resurgence in a way? Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, we could talk for days on this topic. Um, but I would say the the highlights are one, um, people feel like things are out of control, right? That that there's there's lots of things that are beyond their control, lots of things that are unknown. Um, and you you add that into the fact that when when things are unknown, when they're uncertain, then we're looking for something to cling to. We're looking for certainty. And then we've been programmed with this idea and this belief that people who know what they're doing, who know what they're talking about, um, exude confidence, who exude this, you know, larger than life personality, which we now know is a narcissist. Um, but you know, we've been taught that the confident people must know what they're talking about. So when you're sitting in a place of feeling uncertain, you're looking to cling to something that's got some tangibility to it. And I think that's a big part of the resurgence to the cult and cult-like things that have been happening is that, and, and, okay, the, and the other thing is that there's still a lot of people running in their victim mode. And so, if I get attached to you and you have it wrong, I get to blame you. It's not my fault, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's many, I mean, there's there's way more layers than that, but the, those would be probably my my biggest ones that I would touch on. Um, yeah, cause I, 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 you know, I watched all the, the, the election stuff and it's just like, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite concerning, but it's also quite for me inspiring because I think through shit you get you can get you know amazing stuff that can happen mm. and people can have this you know I I look at twenty twenty as and apparently twenty twenty one at the beginning part of it, uh, twenty twenty is a huge reset and I know a lot of people yeah. have said that it's a time for us all to like stop yeah. and collaborate and listen. I'm sorry. I'm a music guy. When I hear songs, I hear words, they, they create songs. So I'm all of a sudden vanilla ice in a minute. Um, <laughs> you know, but it, it's crazy. We, we run it's, to, that's why, I, that's why I tell people, you know, like, you know, why do kids run to gangs? I'm like, if you don't see why they run to gangs, they run because they're included. They're taken care of. They're looked after. They belong. Oh, they have some sort another of, big of piece. family. Yeah. Community. We, we all want to belong. And the crazy thing that I, this is where I stand is that it's like what we actually want to belong is to ourselves. And it's the piece that we don't give ourselves. And so we're constantly looking for something outside of ourselves. But if we learn to belong to us, then we can belong anywhere and nowhere that like Maya Angelou says, right? You, you belong everywhere and nowhere because this is here, right? It's just, nobody can make us feel 
anything else, right? We tie back to the, the Auschwitzer guy. Um, nobody can make us feel anything else. So if we belong to ourselves, if we feel good about who we are, then we're not going to get sucked into cults, cult-like pieces, you know, um, business practices, business uh, interesting things that get sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> We're not, you know, <laughs> there's, uh, I'll be good. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, you're on the raw and unscripted show. You can say anything. That's why, I, that's why I created the show. That's why I titled it that because I just want to have those raw and raw and vulnerable conversations for yeah. people out there to see what really is happening in the world. And what you said about the victim mindset, that's something I preach about all the time. I'm like, you can choose to be a victim or a victoria. You could choose to let life is happening for you, not to you. Simple delineations, which while they sound simple or not easy, when thinking about being in a cult and thinking about being a dominatrix, and I'm not sure how they, they landed side by side, but talk to us about a period in your life in those first 18 years where you were the most afraid and yet you found the most strength. Um, I probably would go to the, you know, when I left, um, it was, so let me set up a little scene. So here I am, I'm just turning 18. So I'm young, but not just young, also having been sheltered, you know, in this environment. So I don't have a lot of worldly experience and, um, and my family has, you know, a construct set up because of the cult that if I leave, they can't talk to me anymore. So I'm moving my stuff out by myself while my family sits in the living room and watches me and that was hard because basically what they were saying to me with their you know their emotions was that i was making the wrong choice and yet i knew in my heart that it was like this is the only choice i can make because if i stay here i'm going to be so miserable that i'm going to literally take my life like i knew i could see that that was the path i was going um, but it was really hard to, you know, to just have to turn away from the people who were supposedly my family and, and walk out and do, yeah, Sam's still getting choked up a little bit, but to walk out and do what, what works for me. It's not easy. I just want to pause for a moment, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to pause for a moment and honor you because there are so many people in the world, Dana, who do not have that strength, who do not stand up for themselves, who do not stand in their power, who remain a silent victim for the majority of their life, if not all of their life. And then they get to the end and they realize all the regrets of the things that they didn't do and the power they didn't take. So I applaud you for being in that situation and, and having that self-respect and that self-care to say, listen, this situation isn't working for me because I'm not sure if you know this about me as well much different situation, but similar situation. Um, you know, being homeless at the age of 13, I was a seventh grade dropout and I got to move into the 1969 country squire station wagon with my mom and 18 cats and two dogs at the, at the ripe old age of 13, having dropped out of the seventh grade and spent the next four years of my life going through complete hell. Um, two attempted suicides, a card attempted carjacking, a gun to my head because I wouldn't buy cigarettes, blah, 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 blah. And again, much like you, I got to a point where I had to look around at the at the silliness, the craziness, the absurdity, um, the the facts of the situation, and thought, okay, there's a couple of there's a couple of avenues for me to get out of this this particular situation I'm in. I could wind up in a in a pine box. I could wind up out of here dead. That's 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 an optional. That's an option. Uh, I can I could wind up in jail, which I'm pretty much cruising towards that point at 17, 16, 17 years old. I was cruising for a bruise and hanging out with the wrong people. Fortunately, it was like it was like luck 
and I really don't believe in luck necessarily, but I think there was certain aspects of where I was at and the people I was with and didn't wind up in jail. And it wasn't until that point I'm like, okay, I don't want to wind up dead. I don't want to wind up in jail. So I have to get the fuck out of here. I have to get the fuck out of here. Otherwise I'm going to wind up dead or in jail. That's that. Those are the facts. And yeah. I remember when I went to my mom at 17 years old, I got this opportunity to move out of the motel we were staying at. And I thought for the first time in my life, she would say, you know what, Chris, you know, I fucked up your life and I've, I've, I've abused you mentally, physically, spiritually, you know, I chased everybody in our life away. You know, we've been homeless. We've dug through dumpsters, you know, we've, all these different things that she was raped. I mean, all these different things that happened. And I thought for the first time in my life, she's like, Chris, go live your life. You know, I am obviously in my forties and can't get it, can't get my shit straight. I don't want to screw up your life. I've already screwed up everybody else's go. And she didn't, she didn't, she called me every name in the book and she found new names in the book, which she wrote the book and, you know, made me feel like everything in the world was my fault and I would be leaving her and she would die and all these bad things would happen to her. And yet still I chose to walk away from the situation, not walk away from her Dana, but I walked away from the situation and well, and behold, I found out that about codependency and found out that she could get stronger and all these things started to work out for each other. But again, I'm just saying this uh, to reinforce what you just said, that those of us out there who are victims in relationships and situations that are not conducive for us, that are killing us, we have to stand up and get out of there. So talk to me about after that, what was, what was the, what was the outcome and the fallout of that experience for you, both in, in a, in a pain and a victim side of regret or potentially thinking about it? Did I do the right thing and versus what you had to do to get yourself straightened after those 18 years of your life? Yeah. Okay. So then I went on a crazy wild bender. <laughs> so here I go from like sheltered and, you know, hidden away from the world, basically um, got heavily into um, drugs, alcohol, sex, wild parties, uh, a lot of craziness. And, uh, and then when that started to, to really create some some problems in my life where it was, you know, interfering with school, interfering with my getting my college degree. Then I, then I had a wake up call like you, right. It was like, Ooh, this is not really a good thing. So then I went the other extreme and I, you know, got myself into AA, got cleaned up went you know, totally like off of everything. And, and then went, no, there's still some crazy in that. Cause you know, people, <laughs> I was like, all right, all you in AA, and I, God bless AA, it, has, it does a lot, it does wonders for a lot of people. However, there are a lot of people who have just traded alcohol for cigarettes and donuts. Uh, you know, they're and there, coffee. right? Cigarettes, coffee, mm -hmm. and donuts. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, well, even just the cigarettes and donuts, <laughs> or the coffee and cigarettes, sorry. Like, you go in, and there's a group of, like, 10 people, and there'll be, like, a percolator that's enough to feed 100 people for coffee. Mm -hmm. And it's empty at the end of the night. Like, you want another cup, Bob? <laughs> uh, right. I'm like, okay, you know. So, so I think there was always a drive for me to like, okay, I I want the best. I want I want something more. I was like constantly driven to what more is out there. What what a human potential aspect like that drive to grow and 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 prosper was an innate piece thank god because i think that otherwise i could have just become numb and like I'd, I'd still be in AA meetings drinking way too much coffee you know, <laughs> and, you know <laughs> a little spun out but yeah so so that was part of my journey went through loads of different therapy eventually started taking um a lot of courses in psychotherapy um, some of the neurology pieces, you know, like neuro linguistic programming and actually studying neuro, um, neurobiology. 
And that, you know, in helping my clients, because I was a massage therapist at the time, so in helping my clients do, you know, change things, then it also started to help me because when we work with other people, it helps us. And, uh, and eventually I found the kink world and being able to go through scenes that were specifically crafted so that we reenacted the abuse and created a different outcome was the, mm. probably the pivotal part of turning it for me because I had a very kinesthetic experience of releasing the trauma from my body. And then from there, I was able to use a lot more of the um, psychoenergetic tools to continue this, this growth path. I, I needed something that was that dramatic to actually break the patterns and stop the constant victim loop. So even though I left at 18, I still carried the victim. I was so much a victim up until my 30s. Um, and well, maybe a little bit tinkering <laughs> on from there, but it <laughs> wasn't until I got into the psychedelics that I really started to let go of the victims. That is a whole nother topic, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I seem to have to do these extreme measures in my own personal development. I, I say it, that's my extreme sport is personal development. So, yeah. you know, I love to just dive right in. People are like, ayahuasca as hell. I'm like, ooh, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about that i'm yeah. up for that you know? <laughs> so i'm a little crazy <laughs> like i love I it i love it no it's perfect it's perfect but you, you you keyed on you keyed in on something and i have to be fully transparent i don't know the world of dominatrix um uh and all that stuff uh never been never been never been never been a part of that let's just say that i mean not that i'm opposed to it or anything but i've just never had somebody who was in that in that position but yeah. you said something and i want to just get clarification on you said um reframing our perspectives about um reenacting those scenes and so my my brain immediately goes to and just pardon me for my ignorance sometimes is i th i think that that you go into a scene where something positive or possibly happened that was negative you know whether it was a rape or whether it was uh non-consexual that is rape non-consexual sex or sex that didn't that led to something that was not what you had bargained for let's just say that so are you taking these traumatic experiences and then reworking them as a dominatrix almost as a part of self-development talk to me a little bit about that so i understand it better yeah so for my healing i worked with with a dom who we scripted yeah we we did a reenactment of abuse that i went through okay. um and it, it was it was you know very graphic i'm not going to get into details because that can traumatize people but sure. we went through all of that but in doing that what was also built into the scene was that i was able to emote all of the things that i wasn't allowed to at that time so i was able to scream i was able to say no i was able to get that out and then also having the piece at the end where you know you're able to to actually heal and be taken care of so it's like coming out the other side it's it's replacing in the brain and saying okay this horrible thing that happened can have a better outcome as opposed to what originally happened and what that does just like with the the neuropsychology tools today is that it shakes up the brain it changes it's like it's like your brain's a big snow globe right and we just give it a good shake and then all the pieces fall in different places and so rather than having the synapses of the memory and the emotion linked and fused together we break them apart and by having that um, new outcome you form new connections in the synapses and that allows you to actually move forward so you're disconnecting from that 
uh, identity of I am a victim to I have survived, I am strong, I am powerful, you, you start putting these new imprints in. And because it's such a, an incredible kinesthetic experience, um, you, it, it, changes, it changes the brain in dramatic ways. It's, it's really quite incredible. So yes, and then when I became a dominatrix, that was a lot of what my work was, was to create that same kind of change the dynamics, create a new outcome for people. Because when they go through a scene and they drop into a place of deep surrender, it's like the deepest transcendental meditation that you can go into. And in that space, just like hypnosis, when you drop people into a really deep space, you can reprogram you can change things in their brain and change those ingrained beliefs of, you know, oh, I'm fucked up, I'm broken, I'm like, whatever. You can change all that into whatever it is that they want. Now, granted, not everybody wanted to go to the dungeon, which is why I don't work that way. Plus, it's a lot of work to beat people. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get my exercise today. You know, I got I got John at twelve, and I got Sally at four. Jeez, my back, my lats are gonna be, you know, arm all, all the flogging, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and something else you keyed in on, and, and thank you again for being so transparent and honest with us. You know, um, I know we're gonna have great questions on this later, and thinking about that, um, in your journey, and I want to get to to the to the second half of your life here in, in just a second. Um, breaking free from all of, all of the the situation you had in your childhood, and then going through this journey, how important was it for you to learn the the real root of forgiveness and empathy towards your fellow persons in your life? You know, because I imagine I can imagine looking back on your on your journey and having resentment and hate and anger, and you know, just different negative emotions as, uh, associated with that. But I know for me, at least for me to heal and for me to heal, you know, people that I've worked with is that component of forgiveness and empathy for those people. And I know in some situations, it's absolutely um, almost impossible for the people I've talked to to have empathy and forgiveness for certain situations. So I'm curious to see where you're at on that journey and what advice you could give to the people watching this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to contradict you a little bit in that at the top, like in my journey, at one time I would have said, oh, that's really important. That's really important because that work did change things. However, that in itself um, is more surface. So it does one layer and it's great. But when you do the forgiveness work of yourself, when you actually come home to yourself, it doesn't matter about the other person. Um, and when you actually work to resolve the connection, like I said, the connection of the memories and the emotions, um, when you resolve that, you will automatically go into forgiveness and having compassion. So doing any work to force yourself to go there or you know, trying all those exercises and things, I think that's a waste of time. Um, and I think it's much more effective to work on resolving the emotions and the memories, disconnecting those, because that sense of forgiveness and forgiving yourself comes naturally. It's to me, it's more effective and I hate wasting time. <laughs> so that leads me to believe, and I love that. I love to be challenged. So that leads me to think about the ways that we process our emotions. We, and I have to remember how to say this correctly, we repress them, we suppress them, or we express them, right? Mm -hmm. So some of us repress them. Um, we just we just put them down in that little box and say, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put those down uh, and think they're all neatly packed. What do you say to those people that have tried to do that? 
and think that they're healthy and think, oh, I've, I've processed it all. Cause I've, I've talked to people like 10 years ago and thought, okay, based on their, their experience that they really have done a great job of forgiving. But now I've seen them 10 years later and they come to me and like, Hey, Chris, can I talk to you about something? And I found out that that thing went boing and surprise, here's all these emotions that come up after being coming a parent or, you know, going through a traumatic experience. I think one of the first things is to recognize that it's their journey, not ours. And it's none of your business. If they want to suppress, repress, express, it, that's their choice. We can only help people when they've identified that they want something different. And otherwise, they're on a journey that's beautiful and it's exactly where they want to be. And this is, this is one of the things that really drives me crazy about personal development is that, and I've been there, okay? I've been the judgy, judgy person. Trust me, I've been like pointing out to people, you really need to work with me. Um, <laughs> doesn't it's not a great marketing tool by the way no. um yeah but when you when you actually make space for people to say you know it's like you can maybe ask a question of like how's that working for you um if you can do it without any condescension and judgment then it plants a seed but you have to let go of trying to change anybody or fix anybody because nobody needs to be fixed nobody's fucking broken nobody's fucking broken so stop it if, if somebody wants to change because they want to change, great. You know what? I got a shitload of tools to help you fucking change. Now, see, potty mouth is totally out now. So, <laughs> Raw and unscripted show, baby. <laughs> so, but, you know, when they're ready, that's when they can work. And, and, and I've really had to learn that for myself is that because I work so deep with people, and you probably find this too, it's like when you work really deep with people, they got to be fucking ready. Because if they're not ready, they fight me, they resist me, and they make me wrong, and I get to be the bad guy. And it's like, I'm sorry, you know. So, so you know, that just doesn't work for me anymore. So, I will not take people on unless they are ready to change. Ooh, I love that. I'm the same way. I'm the same exact way. I thought I used to be able to save everybody. I could help everybody, and now it's like you have to convince me that like you're like right there. Otherwise, I, I don't want. It's like, yeah. then it almost, you, you feel like you're, you want it more for them than they want it for themselves. And all of a sudden, if you don't succeed in that, then you're like, what did I do wrong? And it's like, no, that just, that person's on their own journey. And that's something, honestly, Dana, out of all the different challenges and opportunities I've had in my life, that's probably been one of the greatest for me to just say, that's where you're at. And there's nothing I can do to alter that. Even for people that I love dearly, mm -hmm. um, that for all of us, you know, I sit there and look at my son, my son's four years old. And what do we want to do? I want to don't touch that. It's going to hurt. Da, da, da. And half the time I'm like, that's the only way he's going to learn. Yeah. He's going to learn to run across the slippery floor and smack his head on the freaking tile. If he cracks his head open, then he's going to learn to, to walk slow. There's nothing I could, Hey, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. Cause even I've noticed myself, Dana is now I've become that parent. Like, Oh, don't hurt yourself. Be careful. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh. how do we learn? We learn when we slip and fall and we crack our head or we break our arm or we do something. Right. Yeah. We got to stop bubble wrapping people because, you know, we'll figure things out on our own. And what if there's nothing wrong with that experience? Like if you want to be repressing your emotions and you want to be an alcoholic, you want to like, what if there's nothing wrong with that? It's just a fucking choice. It's it really our is. judgment, right? It's like if I'm determining that that's not the right choice for you, well, then I'm the judgmental superior bitch, right? It's not them. I'm the one with the problem. Mm -hmm. and, yep. which is which is again what i see in a lot of personal development is that they want to make these things wrong so that they have something that they can offer out to fix people but there's nothing to fix 
Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I love that. Yes. Bravo, bravo, bravo. So, so out of the cult in the dominatrix situation, and then you segue out of that and become a coach for, uh, for top level um, business executives. How do we, how do we make that transition? Cause I love how you pivot and I love how you grow and I love how you take the opportunities that you've had in that particular segment of your life to learn something. What did you learn out of that time in being a dominatrix and how did you transition that to uh, helping other people find their inner dominatrix? Okay, so I'll try to keep it quick, but I gotta tell you the, the backstory of this. So, um, so I started out as a massage therapist. I built, uh, I, two businesses. So I had two massage therapy clinics and I had, I built in um, a massage supply outlet, built all that up into the seven figure range. And um, that was concurrent to my being a dominatrix. Now, uh, 2012, we hit, uh, we hit a, a road bump and we had to restructure. And it was at that time that I realized that I had completely compartmentalized these two aspects of my life. I had me as the business owner and me as the dominatrix. And when I had to restructure and I had to take it down to just me running the business and lay everybody off, then I had a chance to actually bring these in. And I started to see that the dominatrix energy, that what I call the inner dominatrix, and I don't use that as a platform totally now, but that inner dominatrix was vital for business. And it was the piece that was missing and why, you know, at the core, I mean, there's like all the surface reasons of what went wrong in the business, but at the core of it was that I wasn't standing fully in my leadership. And that's what really led me to, to transition over into the leadership coaching, you know, executives and, and CEOs of businesses, because I saw the impact that that it could have for them and how they run businesses, how they work with their teams and um, and really, you know, shifting the internal structure so that they show up differently in their in their businesses and with their teams. Mm, I love it. I love it. So what are what are some of the biggest of me being the no excuses coach? What are some of the biggest excuses that people come to you wanting help with? Um, I, you know, underneath it all, they don't necessarily say it, <clears throat> but underneath it all is always an element of abuse because, you know, that's my story. That's my history. And so I have a lot of skills there. Um, and usually it's coming, coming in the symptoms are, so let's say they're a business owner and the symptoms are often that they've been, they've been going really well. Everything is good. Tickety boo, tickety boo, tickety boo. And then all of a sudden they have six months of it's just like tanks, like just nosedives. And because life is coming along and saying, you know what, you need to address this now. <laughs> like you need to be looking at pushing, this. Pushing, pushing, pushing. A little nudge from the universe, not me, from the universe. Um, and so when they deal with that, when they deal with what's going on, what's at the root of it, the business is able to just turn around and, and get going again. And when we talk about, say, um, you know, people who are CEOs, then what's often happening is that they are having constant challenges with their team. Their team is fighting them, pushing back. There's a lot of, you know, just like nastiness going on, gossiping. Those are those are symptoms that often happen. And again, it comes down to what's going on for the CEO. Where are they standing in their leadership? And and so many times it's rooted in this earlier abuse from childhood or, you know, early 20s. And when we shift that, then they're able to show up with compassion for their teammates and they're able to lead in a way that inspires the team to get on board. And it's not instant. You know, when we're talking about a corporation that has, you know, a big team, it, it may take a year 
to get things turned around, but it can be dramatic. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the, what are some of the initial exercises or thought processes you have people go through Dana, um, to, to reimagine that situation being different? Cause mm -hmm. I love that. I'm all about, I'm all about changing perspectives and all about how can we see this as an opportunity that that was something that happened for you. Talk to us a little bit about that. Cause I know that that is something that people would really key in. How do I get out of this victim state of something that happened in my childhood? Because we have proven, and I love how you say that again, also, is going to the root and not dealing with the symptom. We are always so much dealing with the symptom. Oh, I yeah. overeat too much. Oh yeah. Well, I guess I'll just get rid of the food. No. Why? What's the, what's the root? Oh, yeah. what's the root of that? What's the root of that? So I love that. Yeah. Okay. So what I give the listeners that you can work with. <clears throat> so when I work with people, um, the home exercises that I give them is what I'm going to give the listeners today. But when we're in session, what we do is we dig in and we, and we start finding like what's going on, what's the subconscious programming, and then get in and actually change that. And then the work that you would do for homework is um, if you imagine, if you close your eyes and you imagine yourself in a safe space, but inside this safe space, there's this beautiful big bonfire. And the bonfire has this ability to transform and transmute. So whatever you throw into the bonfire gets eaten up and then all of the wisdom and learning. So if you're throwing in a memory of something, you throw that in, but all the wisdom gets captured and stored in the archives. Mm. Okay. So we're not just destroying it for the sake of destroying it. We're destroying it so that we have the ability to, to break the connection of the emotion. Okay. So this is a way of working with your subconscious mind is this imagery of the bonfire. Now, the other part of this is that on a daily basis to stop and actually tr drop in within and you start to imagine what's the life that you want? What is that? What is it that you want to feel like when you have the things that you or you're doing the things that you want to be doing? And it's not about picturing yourself on the beach in Maui and driving the Ferrari or whatever. Who cares? It's not that shit is not the thing. Yeah. It's what is the feeling? What, who are you? How have you become when you've accomplished this? And you step into that. And then you can step back into today. And this is a little bit of NLP technique. So you step back into your present moment and then you go into your future self again, experience that feeling, turn around as if you're able to look at your present day self and then notice what is the very next step that your present day self has to take in order to start moving towards your future self. And then you take action, you open your eyes and you take action on that thing. And that, if you do that on a daily basis, like, you know, it is proven so many high level performance people, this is what they do, right? Napoleon Hill is a version of this, but we've just kind of ramped it up a little bit. And visualizing, feeling where you want to be creates this pull towards it. And so you start moving yourself there. And then when you combine that with like the tools that you or I work with, it allows people to actually move and take action a lot faster. Because if you just do that on its own, you will eventually get there, but you can get there faster by also working on the mental aspect, working on those beliefs, changing the brain landscape, the brain chemistry to make it that you want to go there. You want to mm. go there faster. So and this is this is a lot of what I'm doing actually right now. I have a course called uh, Create the Life and Biz You Love. And we're doing a four-week series. It's totally free. So I will pop back with the link that people can get signed up and join me 
live for that. Ooh, I love that. I love that. You and I are so similar, Dana. Um, and I want to respect your time, but I want to jump into something else. But what you were just talking about is so massive. So for you guys listening, um, you guys have heard me talk about compound interest, right? And what you're talking about, Dana, is literally we have, I always think in terms of, okay, 365. So there's 365 days in a year. What would your life be like if every single day you took one action to reframe a certain part of your perspective about your your about your past to make that work for you? What can you do today to become the person that you see yourself being tomorrow? What decisions, what questions can you ask yourself? Because over that period of time, so many people think, Dana, in terms of, this is what I get people, oh, Chris, I want to start a business. I want to make this money and I want to do all these things. And I want to be healthy. And I'm like, how old are you? I'm 48. Okay, listen. <laughs> yes. Okay. We got to, we got to, we got to whittle that down a little bit. We got to figure out where it is that you're coming from and what it is that you want to accomplish. And let's get started today on what you were talking about the feeling. I love what you talk about because we're, we're so consumed with, oh, when I get this, then I will feel, then I will feel safe. I will feel whole. I will feel complete. I will feel value. I will feel significant. All that other it shit. Never works. And it never worked. Yeah. No, you have to, you have to stand in that position. Now you have to own that power now um, and choose to number one, believe that and choose that you love yourself. Number one, I think you would agree with that and that, and be ready to receive it because I think we want things, but we knowingly somehow, I think in our, in our weird way, no, we're not ready to receive it until we almost earn it. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. And, and that's the, that's a lot of the programming stuck in our brain is these ideas of, you know, I need to be worth it because we've been told for how long that, you know, charge what you're worth and you're worth it. And, you know, you deserve it, all these, these things, but these ideas of being worthy, deserving, earning it, all of them in my mind are lies uh, and lies that stop you. Cause you know what? Uh, especially when it comes to money, let's take money for an example, because it's great. Like how many people do you know who you'd say really don't deserve the money who, who are not, you know, who are cray cray. <laughs> there are lots of cray cray people with money, you know, yeah. and, and not to pick on, I won't pick anybody alive, but like, even if you look at Michael Jackson, he's brilliant. A brilliant artist was a brilliant artist, not the most sane person, you know, and yet it didn't stop him from making tons of money. So we don't need to deserve it. We don't need to be sane. We don't need to be fixed. You just need to choose it and you need to keep taking action. But it is way easier. It is way easier if you also do the internal work. And that's the thing, because then when you get there, you can enjoy it. Yes. I love that because I've, I've known a lot of millionaires and billionaires and a lot of successful people, actors, sports people, musicians, and they will be one of the first people to tell me, yeah, Chris, it's great, but I still wake up every day going, fuck. Right. And I'm like, I was doing the same thing when I was in a corporate job. I was doing the same. And I, so I love digging into that, into those components and definitely gonna have to have you back on the show here to talk more about that. But one thing you keyed in earlier that I'm really, um, I'm really eager to share with our listeners and I'm just going to borrow a little bit of your time um, is when you mentioned about psychedelics and I, and I know that, um, you know, we're talking about leadership and badassery and, and overcoming those things, but talk to us a little bit about that because I know that it's making more of an impact in today's news media. I know that medical marijuana over the last five, 10 years has really made a resurgence in the fact of what it can do um, to treat anxiety, to treat bipolar, to treat sleep, um, issues. I personally use it. I've been uh, a subscriber for medical marijuana. I was a pot smoker when I was, when I was a kid. Um, mm -hmm. so 
and, and studying it and learning about the different types and everything has genuinely led me to um, ayahuasca and psilocybin, which we, and I've not tried these things, uh, MDMA, all those different things. Talk to us about what that is happening uh, in the world today and the role it's had in your life. Okay, so again, we could we could have a couple hour discussion on this one alone too. It's great. Um, so psychedelics. So first of all, let's just say psychedelics have kind of gotten a bad rap because back in the '60s there was the war on drugs, and even though psychedelics were proven to be non-addictive, and um, they were starting to have a lot of studies that showed that they were effective for treatment of depression and PTSD um, and more disorders, that the government wanted to suppress them. So they lumped them in with, with all of the drugs. Um, so now the information is starting to come out. There's been a resurgence and an, and an interest in psychedelics. And like I said, you know, if we take just magic mushrooms, for instance, this psilocybin, um, magic mushrooms have a diminishing effect if you take them daily. So you, you actually don't, your body doesn't crave to have them. If you, if you do a, a dose of like one or three grams, your body isn't necessarily going to be like tomorrow, like, yeah, let's do another. <laughs> like It's like, you know, it's your body might crave the, the release or the transformation that comes from it, but it's not like the drugs like heroin that you're going to become addictive to. Um, so what is hap what is happening? What they're what they've found that they're supposing is happening is that um, psychedelics create that you know shaking up of the snow globe in your brain. It completely changes all of the connections. It, it, they've actually done MRI studies, which I think is fascinating, and shown that there there are so many more cross connections and connections between areas that don't normally talk to each other, which is why when you take a psychedelic, you can feel like you taste music or you hear smells or, you know, you're getting those cross connections and you're experiencing things on a, a larger level. Um, and then there's some debate about, you know, what, what are the visuals? Do they mean something? Do they not mean something? That's, you know, that gets into the consciousness realm. I mean, personally, I, I, I think there is a lot of messages that can come in. It does open it up, um, which is also an area where there's caution. There's caution to be had that psychedelics are not to be taken lightly. If you haven't, um, if you haven't experienced a dose before, I don't recommend doing it on your own. I do recommend, you know, going to a ceremony with people that you trust, people that are safe and they know what they're doing um, because then they can monitor. Like if you start having, if you start going down a path and it starts opening up memories that are traumatic for you, then it can feel like a very bad trip and it can very quickly go into anxiety provoking. Um, and you want to have somebody there who's, who can actually guide you through it, who can talk you through it. It's like, no, you're here. I got you. And, yep. and, make it so that it moves out of your body and then you come out the other side even if you've had a really you know quote unquote bad trip it can be very um it can be very healing for you so personally my experiences with both ayahuasca and um, magic mushrooms have been incredible uh, some journeys very hard very dark and at the same time I think because of all of my training in the dominatrix world I leaned into it I was like all right bring it on like whew, do your worst <laughs> you know <laughs> and, <laughs> like there's nothing oh, I got this I got this so 
Um, yeah, so I really was able to have like part of my brain being aware of like, okay, I've chosen to do this. I'm going to lean in. I want to release. And the ayahuasca was the first one to, to actually be able to break through the level of anger that I carried in my body. And I didn't realize that I had been stuffing all of that until it went. And then people were like, wow, you're just so much more peaceful now. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, (laughs) did you tie it together? Like, oh, ayahuasca kicked my ass. And that's why. It, it totally was. Yeah. I had, I had friends who were like, you are so much better now that you've gone to ayahuasca. <laughs> You're so much nicer. <laughs> so, and it's not that I was a mean person before, but there was just this level of anger, a level of feeling like everybody else has got it easier. Like I was struggling. And so since doing that, I'm just, I've like completely surrendered into also trusting that the universe can have my back and that I'm guided to go where I need to go. And in doing that, like the money shows up, the clients show up, things show up with ease, and I'm not busting my ass, which is fabulous. Um, and then this, the psilocybin has been amazing for creativity, um, inspiration, ideas, and and reclaiming some of my memory. So I had um, <clears throat> a period where I had extreme sleep de- deprivation in 2019, um, and that screwed with my brain. So the psilocybin has been microdosing with that has been repairing my brain. Yay. Which is so nice. Yeah. Nice. So, well, I, I, I'm definitely going to have you back here on the Ron and scripted show. Probably have you on the unfiltered experience as well. Um, because I, I want to dive into this conversation a little bit more, but I wanted to scratch the surface a little bit so that my viewers could get a taste of that because it's something we haven't talked about here on the show. It's something cool. that I am very eager to, to try. Uh, I did acid one time when I was 17, 18 years old, and it was not a very good experience. I did it with a bunch of friends. Um, but now I've seen friends go through ayahuasca, go down to Peru and do that and come back different people. I've watched the documentaries. I've been absolutely fascinated with the fact of what psilocybin can do for PTSD, uh, what medical marijuana is continuing to do with the endocannabinoid system in our body. So I really appreciate you sharing that one. The final question I have on that subject, and then we'll wrap up is, is considering that it is not legal yet. What are some opportunities? And I have a friend of mine that's in the space as well, but I'm keen to hear your space, your your thoughts. What, if somebody's watching this, is interested in getting into that, what steps would you uh, prescribe for them to find a place that's safe and find a ceremony that's safe for them in their area? Um, okay, so a lot of it is underground and you're, you know, you want to reach out to somebody who, um, who is already involved in it and you feel like you can trust and you're, you're going to want to check in, like really check in that are they doing this because they're called to do it or are they doing it because, you know, it's something new and they can make money at it. And there's nothing wrong with making money. It's just that when you're holding space, um, you, you need to be a clear vessel because, it's a lot of work to hold space in ceremony. Um, so you, you pretty much have to be called to do it because otherwise it's crazy. Um, and also, it, you know, if people are in it just for the money, they're not necessarily gonna have the connection to notice what you need. Um, so, you know, I really do your research, check in with people, ask lots of questions. You know, how long have you been doing this? What's your journey? What's your background? Um, have you done any training? You know, there's, there's two trains of thought on the training. You know, really, it's it's a thing that I think you have a gift for or you don't. 
you know, you can have the mental knowledge, but if you don't have the skill set to just be able to read people's energy and get in there before they even say anything, um, you know, that's that's a different skill set. Anyway, I'm, I'm like <laughs> going in, but I would say, um, I would really caution people against doing your first dose alone. You know, psilocybin yeah. is one of those things. Microdosing, go for it. You know, feel free to hit me up. I can I can tell you about some options for protocols. Um, it's it's pretty safe to get in there and microdose, but there are some things to think about as far as if you're on medications. Um, and if you're on medications, please, please do not do psychedelics alone. Go to somebody who knows what's going to happen with your interactions. Um, <laughs> yeah, please. Um, cause I know like there's, there's lots that you can get into the dark web and you can buy all of these things online. Um, and if you're in Canada, you, you don't even have to go to the dark web. <laughs> there are websites, there's about four websites right now that you can buy mushrooms online. Wow. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people who definitely want to do it around like six or seven people who I are like stuffed teddy bears to me. I'm like, okay, if I hear your voice, then I know I'm going to be all right. I did, yeah. I did Cambo. I did. I have a, I have a, I have a dear friend who's who's done the 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 ayahuasca, done a little bit of the microdosing on the shrooms. Somebody I would never imagine. And so she hit me up. She lives in Arizona, and she's like, hey, you want to do Cambo? Have you ever heard of Cambo? I'm sure you have. Yeah. So I was like, all right, tell me about this Cambo thing. Right. And she's like, okay, well, they're going to, it's an Amazonian tree frog poison. They're going to burn it into your skin and you're going to get really hot and throw up and you're going to feel cleansed. I'm like, that sounds like a party. Let me join. And so we went and did it. I went, I went and met her up there, went to this house in East Los Angeles of all places. Yeah. Um, I was like, we're, we're off the 110 freeway. This is not a good place to be. And I'm going to go do Cambo. Um, still, and I did a bunch of research on my researcher. And went and did it. And I trust my friend Linda. I mean, she's amazing. And so we went and this, it was nice, really nice home. And they had set it up and we did Tanunga, which I think was some sort of uh, smoke. And then we did some eye drops. I uh, oh. can't remember the name of yeah, those things. Well, they're wicked, right? Yeah, Ooh. that was fun. They yeah. blast your third eye open though. Wow. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a cool experience. And actually I did it. I did it over two days. I did it over a Saturday and Sunday. When I left there on the Saturday, I was just driving and everything just felt clear. I felt calmer. It was crazy. And it really did have an impact for quite some time. I was like, wow, I just really do. So there's, there's a lot to be said on that. Um, so we've been going for an hour and five minutes. I know you have a lot of things to do and our listeners and watchers have a, a lot of things to do. I'm going to give you the microphone for two minutes. What would you say to the world? You have a microphone to the world right now. The world's going through a lot of different things, a lot of turmoil, a lot of resetting, a lot of new perspectives. Uh, we're at the point I believe where we can really change the trajectory of our world in the history books for our youth. What would you say to people right now who are struggling, trying to find who it is that they are and trying to find that comfortable space within them? What would you say? Mm, I think my encouragement would be to to lean in to this and you know choose actively choose to see this as a momentous occasion that this is an opportunity to shift and grow um, and you know look out for different tools that are going to help you on that journey to to actually make that choice. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm pretty sure this is where people can get a hold of you, www.danaferret.com. And you had mentioned something you are doing a current, you're going to be doing a course. Um, and we're going to drop that link into there. Tell us a little about what the, what they can expect in that course with you. Okay. So we've had, uh, we've had two weeks already. Tomorrow night is, or 
yeah, tomorrow night, Wednesday, <laughs> I can't remember what day it is. Tomorrow night is the third uh, of the live pieces. And if you join live, you get a chance to win a free session with me, which is kind of cool. Um, and so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing some recoding of the brain, some rewiring in there. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on with our brain, why we get these programs stuck in here, and um, and also getting you set up for visualizing, you know, what is that life that you ultimately want to live. So um, the first two weeks are available in the course in the recordings. You can grab a hold of those and then jump on live and get, you know, get some things changed to get to start to get that programming going in your brain for the direction that you really, really want to go. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So there you guys have it. Go visit DanaFerrant.com and sign up for her course. Get in there. Uh, make sure we'll, we'll put uh, we'll put the other course, the link in, of the course in the comments here as well uh, for everybody to get a hold of. But Dana, I want to have you back on the Ron Unscripted Show. I love jamming with you. There's so many different questions I could have asked you on so many different things. Um, so I would love in just one hour <laughs> i know it's crazy for the most part you know these shows fly right by sometimes it's like at the 20 minute mark and it's you know it's still but i knew talking with you based on our conversation before that we would have multitudes of different avenues to go down so i'm so thankful for you making the time to be on the raw and scripted show and sharing your brilliance sharing your amazing story sharing your your fortitude in standing your ground and going through every journey that you've had in your life um to be where you're at today and to be helping other people i think it's a beautiful beautiful experience and thank you for sharing it here on the raw and scripted show i'm going to place you backstage here for a second then i'm going to end the show and then we'll catch up for a few minutes before i let you go but uh yes so make sure you guys catch up with her danaferrant.com Dana, I will catch you in just a minute. So thank you for being here. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, another episode of the Raw and Unscripted Show with Miss Dana Ferrant talking about all things uh, of a journey that has been absolutely miraculous in the fact that growing up in a cult and then going into the dominatrix industry and becoming, you know, and then transitioning out of that and becoming a coach for C-suite executives and leadership uh, um, people in the space of the business, you know, just a tremendous journey that we can all learn to take of ourselves. And it all starts with us, you know, choosing in those moments, like Dana said, I had to choose that I had to get out of the situation for my betterment. Same situation I had. I had to choose to get out of that situation for my betterment. Was it easy? No. Was it worth it? Absolutely, yes. And guys, you think about all the times that we've talked here on the show about challenges and opportunities and things are hard and you know, and I've never been able to do that. All the psychological stuff that we put our put the, the roadblocks in front of ourselves. Please take this interview tonight. Please take this, this discussion tonight. And if anything else, just make a promise to yourself. You know, that promise, you know, we make promises to everybody else. We don't generally make promises to ourselves. Make a promise to yourself that each and every day you're going to do one thing that causes you to grow, that do one thing that gets you out of your little, little bit out of your comfort zone. Maybe you have too much stuff around the house. Maybe one, 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 once a day, you pick three or four things to either sell or get rid of or donate. You know, maybe it's a situation where you're uncomfortable talking to people. Maybe once a day you go on and do a Facebook live for 30 seconds for a minute, you know, do the little things that are going to get you out of your comfort zone. They're going to get you where you need to go. And I promise you, you will get there, but more importantly, get the right people around you to make sure that happens. So if you resonate with Dana, please reach out to her. She is an amazing person. She's a great coach. She can help you get along the route that you need to get along to, to become the person that you need to be. And that's what this is about. This is about deciding right here and right now that you're going to stand up and say no more. 
And if right now isn't the time for you, like Dan and I both said, that is okay. But trust me, one day you're going to get to that point and you're going to realize, wow, I wish I would have made that decision for myself earlier on in life. And that is something you can make right now. You can sit there and choose to say, oh, it's everybody else's fault. And I'm waiting for the government to give me my thing. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to show these people this you know, whatever it is, if it's a negative situation, then of course you're going to get more negativity in your life. So I encourage you to stand up, stay strong and be unstoppable. Realize that you guys are more powerful than you really think you are. And that through that progressive succession of, of challenging yourself, you will get stronger and you will become unstoppable. I love you guys. Make sure you guys are hitting me up. Christopher at ChristopherRoush.com. Uh, send me ideas for the shows. Send me ideas for guests. If you have somebody you think that would be great for a guest on the Raw and Unscripted show, we would love to have them there. So again, Christopher at ChristopherRoush.com. I love you guys. Stay kick ass and we will see you next Tuesday with another brilliant guest, another brilliant show. We love you guys. Peace.